And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of athletic subscribers? <laughs> Who wouldn't? Our lot are great. They're intelligent. They have demonstrably long attention spans for all of those long reads. And that means they're almost certainly the ABC ones you're looking for. Imagine your brand front and centre on the Totally Football Show. Or Talk of the Devils. Or Football Clichés. You can advertise with us now. Our highly skilled and effortlessly charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you, whether you want a single ad on View From The Lane or full title sponsorship on our Women's World Cup show. We've got something for everyone. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the Phil Hay Show that is brought to you by The Athletic along with those lot from The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball with Michael and Phil Hay from uh, from The Athletic, straight from Jesse's press conference. Uh, twice a week, Mondays and Fridays till the back end of March. This one, this is the Friday edition where we talk about the press conference. The Monday edition, we talk about the game that's gone on at the weekend. Uh, you can find all these shows ad-free when you subscribe to The Athletic within the uh, Athletic app and as well as all the ad-free pods. You can read everything Phil writes about Leeds United participate in match day discussions before and after the game with Phil himself. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. Jesse, then how was he today? He seemed to be quite bright today, did Jesse? He seems to be in a good mood. Yes, I would say he was. Um, Not an easy press conference for him, actually, because he had to deal with the um, issue of Jack Harrison and where he'd been Tuesday night and how close he'd been to going. Um, The definite highlight of today was right at the start before we got going. Stuart Dallas bringing Georgina Rutter into the press room. Ruta. Uh, Ruta, sorry, into the press room to show us his clobber. Uh, what was he wearing today? He was wearing exactly what he was wearing on the picture that you might have seen on Twitter. So Instagram. When he was dressed sort of like Mr. Soft duvet kind yeah, of yeah, like white trousers, kind of pink number for a jacket, um, pink hat. I think um, the, uh, the, the vibes I was getting from Dallas was he was potentially not a fan of that outfit. I, I mean, I, I would say that Ruta probably does not shop where Michael shops um, when it comes to clothes. Um, there were no square ball freebies to be seen inside. It had it had strong Harvey Nichols flavour, I thought. He has the drip. Is that what they say? It's not, that's not the same as middle-aged men having the drip. Is that, I don't is think. that a saying, is it? Right, no, like no I don't think so. It's not like the Eminem song, <laughs> The Drips. No, I suspect not. You know, if you can carry it off, if I, were, it. if I was 20 years old and getting paid tens of thousands of pounds yeah, a week, you'd be in buying that sort of I'd, stuff. I'd of wear what the hell I wanted. Of course you would. Quite frankly. If we tried that outfit, you kids would walk even further on the other side of the street to <laughs> the distance they do already. You yeah. see, you're tempting me to buy it now. Just, just, <laughs> if I know it upsets some people, I might, I might be willing to splash out. But I mean, I dare say it was about 600 quid that jacket so maybe not I would not. say so I yeah, would say yeah. so it's, it's, uh, unless you can find one on Vinted it's not happening is it right? I always think when you get to our age it's easy isn't it to be sniffy about fashionable clothes 400 quid actually you can get it for oh, is that right is that all? yeah quite oh. cheap bargain what's the, what's the brand ERL Sunset Puffer Coat is what it's described as oh yeah because it was sort of orange and pink which I get the sunset vibes oh, anyway only in small Onwards uh, to matters yeah. of import. Uh, so should we, should we start off on, on Jackie Harrison then? Yeah, because uh, you and your colleague, is it Rob Tanner, who's uh, 
your colleague. Leicester, let, oh, Leicester writer Rob, yes. Yeah, led off on the, on the Jack Harrison story that broke after the transfer deadline had uh, had passed, that he'd been down there for a medical. Uh, Jesse Marsh, keen to play it down today, which you would expect given the position that he's in. Uh, that he's in. I think from our point of view as fans, does it suggest uh, a little bit of a, a slight lack of, should we say, being on the same page at boardroom level maybe? I think Marsh said as much as he could possibly say and as much as he could really, realistically be expected to say about it, given that these decisions in the end, they, they always factor in the head coach. But when it comes down to money, it tends to be you know done above your head and, and that's where the, the final decision occurs. It was a slightly strange day leading into the, the deadline in the way that it had been a slightly strange week with Harrison because there'd been a lot of noise about him. It was pretty obvious that um, Leicester were keen the word out of Leeds was that they, as a club, wanted to keep him. Ideally, wanted to tie him to a new contract. And that's another part of the context of this is where Harrison is at with his deal at the moment. But Harrison played on Saturday in the cup game at, at Accrington, which I think, with hindsight now, surprised Leicester because they were very much getting the impression last week that there was a deal to be done and that a deal might well be done. They saw Harrison play in that game, I think, weren't expecting it, made the assumption that he was staying. And I think even as of, Tuesday morning didn't really feel as if everything was going to unravel itself in time to to get him signed but at no point were Leeds really being absolutely unequivocal in saying he's staying you know even in the latter stages of the of deadline day where you thought it had reached the point where if he was going he was going and if he wasn't going then then he was on the books and we got wind of the fact on Tuesday night that he was heading to Leicester but at that point weren't really certain about exactly what had happened or whether that was strictly accurate but then as um, the deadline passed and, and we got into Wednesday and we started asking questions and, and digging around a bit, it became apparent that Harrison had gone, had got to Leicester's training ground, that they were in, at the point of getting a medical going, again on the assumption that he was he was going to be sold. And I think it's important to say that it was not Harrison's decision to make that trip. It wasn't an Odom Wingy scenario where he was kind of trying to force his way out. He was, it was really being told that it might be the case that as the deadline comes very close, Leeds decide to sell you. And if they do, you have to be at Leicester in order to do a medical um, and do photo shoots and, and all the, the other things that you have to rush through on deadline day. It was like a proper archetypal deadline day experience for Harrison. You know, the transfer that didn't quite happen. The, being, the Dan James, as we call it. Being in somebody else's training ground or on somebody else's turf as you're waiting to see how the cards are going to fall um, before the clock ticks to 11pm. So Marsh obviously quizzed about it today. The point he was trying to make, or the, the version that he was giving, was that that it was a late move from Leicester, that everybody at Leeds was trying to get on the same page. He mentioned Radrizani, he mentioned the 49ers, he mentioned the fact that the 49ers had had a, um, an NFL game over the weekend and everything else. And in his view, and I think he stated this clearly enough to, to absolutely believe him last week, said it a couple of times, that, that he wanted Harrison to stay and that Harrison was important to the club that they didn't want to lose him, didn't want to lose him to a relegation rival. I think I don't think that marries or dovetails perfectly with the scenario of the player being at Leicester's training ground that late on. The, the, I think it's, it's perfectly reasonable to draw the conclusion that Leeds were minded to sell him at that point. You know, we're, we're seriously considering the possibility that they might take the money for him, which would have been £20 million. But as it is, Harrison stays. Harrison is still at the club. I'd expect him to be in the squad um, for the game against Forest on Sunday. And the plan is to sign him to a new contract, which incidentally will not be at the same level as Leicester were offering. I mean, our understanding was that Leicester were 
going to pay him or would have paid him six figures. You know, it would have been a hundred grand a week plus for him. He's not going to get that at Leeds, but Leeds think they can get him onto a new deal now. What you said there, Phil, actually preempts what I was going to say. When you consider how organised Leeds United's incoming transfer window activity felt this time, to then see on the other side of the fence the outgoings, to paint it like they were almost caught by surprise by this. It was the 11th hour, as Marsh um, mentioned it today, wasn't it? It doesn't really stand up to scrutiny, does it, all that, all that I, well? I, I don't think it was the 11th hour um, in terms of Leicester's interest at all. It was apparent last week that they were in for him. But I never got the sense that Harrison was desperate for the move or agitating for the move or trying to make it happen. I think, if anything, he seemed minded to to stay at Leeds. I didn't get the impression that Marsh wanted him to go from asking around, I certainly don't think that Alter particularly wanted him to go. So who did? Is, is I think, the, the question. And, and Marsh was asked that today and didn't really answer it. And I have to say, in fairness to him, I think that sort of question needs to be answered by somebody further up the chain. You know, what was the, what was the state of play? What was the chain of events that led not to them considering, to take, considering taking the money? Because if, if, you, if you look at the context of this, Harrison has 18 months on his contract. So... Convention in football now says to you that they either agree a contract with him before the end of the next window or they sell him in the next window. I, I don't think a player of Harrison's pedigree and, and a player who's developed as he has at Leeds can be allowed to leave on a free transfer. It makes no business sense and it makes no... It doesn't really make any competitive sense for the club either. It, it, would, be, it would be logical and it would be wise to cash in on him at that point. And given that in this window they've committed to Vuber at £10 million, Router at kind of £30 million or thereabouts, and, and also have got themselves into a deal for Weston McKenney that could cost them around about 30 as well. So, you know, £70 million of commitments. You can understand why the offer of £20 million for Harrison might be tempting, particularly because they have so many attacking players now. And clearly Rodrigo is injured, um, done his ankle and is, is looking like being out for two months. But even with that, you know, that there is a there is a choice and there is a depth of player up front that leads. So, Marsh said, you know, he, he wouldn't criticise anybody for considering the approach. And I, I, I'm i inclined to agree that it was probably one of those bids that had to be seriously considered or seriously thought about, discussed. But what you would say is that there didn't seem to be much need for it to run as close to the deadline as it did. It didn't seem to me that it would have been that difficult to have decided either late last week or, you know, at some point on Monday or early on Tuesday, what is actually happening with this? And you, you sort of can't get away from the fact that in the end, with about an hour or two hours to go of the window, Harrison was sat down at Leicester's training ground thinking, I would say, that he was uh, about to go. Because when you look at the evidence there, and if you take it on face value, Marsh says he wanted him to stay. Victor Orta, it's quoted in the article, isn't it, that you've, you've got on the, yeah. on the website about this? He, he's not quoted, but we've written no, in the article yeah. that he, he wanted to stay. Yeah, he so wanted Orta, Harrison to stay. So yeah. presumably that's correctly sourced. He wanted him to stay as well. Marsh then points out in this press conference that maybe time differences played a part in all this, which points then, doesn't it, to to me, in my opinion, a difference between the two ownership groups. Could the 49ers and Andrea Radrazani not have thrashed this one out before we got into the, the final hours of the of the transfer deadline, Phil? As, as you just said. It's then. a very fair question. And I think given the fact that, you know, it's come to light how this played out and the coverage of it and our piece on Wednesday and everything else if it isn't allowed to run to that point, then that story isn't there, is it? You know, you don't have the story of Harrison being down at Leicester. And it does surprise me that there wasn't a decision taken earlier with this, given that quite clearly they didn't have to sell. You know, they didn't have, it wasn't a case of we need this player out and we absolutely need the cash and he's got to go, therefore we're sending him to Leicester. 
it was in the end actually we'll keep him and we'll try and tie him to a new deal and just to reiterate again in no way was it Harrison pushing for this and in no way was it Harrison halfway down the M1 with Leeds saying what are you doing and, and why are you going they knew he was travelling and he was travelling because as you've seen with deals so many times over the years on deadline day if the cards fall in a certain way and if the pieces fall into place you have to be in the right place at the right time to do it because you just do not have wriggle room how common is this sort of thing? I know we've been on the, the other end of it a few times recently with obviously Dan James and Cuisance and I mean, Dieng didn't even get on the plane did at the end. But if when we felt like we're on the verge of signing someone, is this are we blowing this out of proportion? Is this more normal? It's not that unusual that this happens. You get a lot of deals on deadline day which either run very, very close. Um, I mean, Chelsea's record signing as a great example, you know, almost did not get done. That got pushed right to the very, very last um, the very end of the deadline the last few minutes when it all got wrapped up and then deal sheets afterwards to make sure that it did so no it's it's not a rare occurrence but I think we're looking at this in isolation aren't we and we're looking at it in the, the context of how leads are operating and, and what they're doing and, and it is I think at odds with an otherwise extremely organised window you know, what, 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 does, what does it say about the, the state of the, the two ownership groups then Phil because we are in a strange limbo at the minute where as far as we know we are just waiting for the white smoke to signal that this thing has gone through. As far as we know, it is in the process of going through at some stage. 49ers likely to be majority owners come the summer. It doesn't all quite seem perfectly harmonious to me. No, I don't and, know. Am, am I getting and that I, wrong? I can't, I can't speak for them. I, can't, I couldn't say what was going on exactly at boardroom level on Monday and Tuesday with um, regards to Harrison. That's why I think you, you need to, or we need to ask that of people further up the chain. But, We've spoken lots of times, particularly this month with the, the deals coming in, about the need for everything in the boardroom to balance up financially against the bigger picture of proposed takeover by 49ers Enterprises from Radrazani about how it will look further down the line when these transfers actually need to be paid for in full. You know, who picks up the bill? How much gets paid now um, in initial instalments? Who pays for that? You know, who puts the money in? It is everything, I think, is is coming back to that conversation without a doubt. I do think, though, it, it's the right decision to keep Harrison. If he if he's down to 12 months in the summer and he's not signing a new contract, then to my mind, it makes absolutely no sense to keep him because you 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 get him for another season, but then he goes on a free potentially and you, you get nothing in for him. But at this point, I think having had what I think is a really good window and having done deals that make total sense and should enhance the team, I just think it would have been a bad look to have let him go right at the end in those circumstances which would have left people thinking you're just taking the money here aren't you this is all about taking the money there doesn't seem to be any tactical aspect to this or competitive aspect to this given that Marsh quite clearly wants him to stay and the Harrison himself wants to stay it would have been a case of saying this was all about cash perhaps given the money that's been committed to new signings perhaps you know is that can you label that as a criticism do clubs have to balance the books They, they definitely do from time to time. But whereas with Urenti, and that needs a bit of discussion here as well, but whereas with Urenti, I think everybody looked at that and said, look, that might be for the best, that particularly if they're recouping money at the end of it. With Harrison, it's obviously needed some explanation anyway, but I think it would have needed far more had he actually left and joined Leicester. Where are we with his contract then? Is this going to happen imminently or is it more of a, an end of season discussion? Well, we asked Mars today how Harrison is, you know, but which... I think is is something that has to be discussed because you wonder at the end of this where your head's at. You know, that was what we all discussed about Dan James going back to Swansea after that weird night at Ellen Road. How is he going to be and, and how is he going to going to cope down there? Marsh says he's okay, says he's fine. Um, he's indicating, club are indicating that they would like to get contract with him done 
as soon as possible, um, which I think would, would be a good thing. And given that Harrison didn't seem to be, you know, to use Marsh's phrase from Accrington, itching to go, you, you sort of say to yourself, well, he must potentially be open to taking a new deal. But I think it's got to be done in this window. This has been in the background actually for quite a while, hasn't it, Harrison's contract? You know, of constantly thinking, surely either you do it or you sell him at some stage. You know, it can't be, can't be both. And Especially this, given that the, they did R- like Rafinha and Phillips at that point, didn't they? Like when yes. They got down to two years and they said that's the optimum time to sell them. So we're beyond that now, aren't we? I, th- I think there's probably slightly more to Rafinha and Phillips in that they will get they were going to get huge fees for both of them comparatively. You know, you were talking in the region of not far off £50 million for both there or thereabouts, combined 90 to £100 million that was coming in. So really, really big amounts of money. And you'll remember that last summer in order to see off Newcastle, they were asking for around about £40 million for Harrison. I think this, the same thing applied. If, if somebody's offering £40 million for him, then yes, please. But if they're not, then we don't particularly want to do that. And certainly not at the level that, that Newcastle were talking about, which was far closer to to 20 I suspect as well with Rafinha it was quite clear that he wanted to go to Barcelona and, and that they were, they were going to make that happen and also with Phillips you know when Radrazani spoke to Phillips and the offer of City was on the table I think the message from Phillips was look this might not come round again and this is as good a move as I could possibly hope for so it's not identical it's not exactly the same but as I say having looked at Harrison for a while now and thought at some point this is going to have to go one way or the other this is probably the, the critical period now where if he signs a new contract, you could see him staying for quite a, a while longer yet. If he doesn't, then it, it will surely get to the point of cashing him. We learned a little bit more new information about Diego Llorente today. Uh, no real details, but there, there was a personal um, life imperative, if you like, that perhaps drove him towards seeking a new challenge. Now, we don't know what that is. We can only speculate, but um, it's interesting to get that bit of detail on top of the idea that Leeds might seek to, to cash in on Diego Llorente. Yeah, well, let's not not speculate about what that is. I mean, Marsh just said, you know, things going on in his personal life that have, have been difficult for him and uh, and it gave the impression that it affected how he was feeling here and affecting his, his form, which is, you know, not good for him at all. And really seemed to be implying that with Urenti, a fresh start in his head was what he needed and would, would do him good. And look, it's a really good move to Roma, isn't it? It's not, you know, he's leaving an excellent club in Leeds, but he's not joining a bad one over there at all. The way the deal set up, I did say initially that it was looking like it was going to be an obligation, but it's actually an option for Roma. Although Leeds seem pretty confident that they will end up taking um, that option up at the end of the season. And from what's been said, it will recoup most of, if not all, the money that was spent uh, on him when he came from, from Real Sociedad back in 2020. And I have to say that if that's the way it works out, then it's a good deal for Leeds. Um It's transfers that make sense when you compare it to the Harrison one, which doesn't make sense to me. It wouldn't have made anywhere near as much sense, absolutely. I think with Llorente, I can look back at periods where Leeds looked settled defensively, where he actually looked good, but they were fairly short and they were almost too brief to leave you thinking that, yes, he ever properly found his feet here. Um, He's had some very poor performances as well. I don't think as signings go, that one has particularly worked. And I suspect that... You know, if it's in his interest to go and he feels that it's for the best, I think deep down Leeds will probably share that feeling as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll preview the Nottingham Forest game towards the uh, back end of the podcast in part three today. First, let's get into Western McKenney then, shall we, Phil? You had a chance to speak to uh, our new arrival this week. Yes, we were down on Monday um, at Ellen Road as he got there, got there to sign his contract and then do media duties. Tyler Adams was there to surprise him. The Lincoln News coming and then Tyler Adams did the uh, LUTV interview. Which was him. excellent, by the way. Yeah, um, good vibes there. And they're clearly very close, those two get on, get on extremely well. He seems like quite a character to me, does McKinney. I think Marsh was talking today about, you know, obviously the, the analysis that goes into him as a player and the way he, um, his style and his, you know, the way he fits in. And for what it's worth, McKinney seems to be saying, or certainly said to us, that he thinks he'll fit in far better here than he ever did in, in Serie A. But Marsh was talking about, you know, analysing players on a, a personal level as well as, uh, as, well as professionally and as well as the, the way they play. And you can see in McKinney that there's an element of fun there, and there's um, there's somebody who I think will will be welcomed into the dressing room and will be will be good in the dressing room. He did say actually, we I asked him about you know, UV and coming to England and you know the differences and how he developed. And he you had to, I think you had to read between the lines a little bit with this, but he kind of said in Italy they're quite and these are my words, but they're quite straight laced. You know they're quite um, particular and you know clean cut maybe. He said, my personality is very different. I'm far more outgoing and so on. And he thought that would probably be slightly more acceptable and, and fitting better at Leeds than it, it ever did at UV. But when we got on to talking about um, football, because um, he thinks of himself as a very much a box-to-box footballer, does McKenney. A number eight. Yeah, so you would say different to Adams. You know, Adams does play quite box-to-box in the sense that if you look at where his touches come on the pitch... Both halves, you know, but strictly between both areas, doesn't get into to either box a great deal. McKinney clearly likes to play a little bit further up the pitch um, and can, and I think carry a bit more of a threat um, going forward. But he said at Juventus when he first got there, um, I think at, at Schalke had learned, and Mar said today, you know, he, what he did at Schalke was quite like a lot of what we'll be asking him to do here. But he said, McKinney said when he got to Juve, the his kind of 60-yard runs and his, his hectic style as he is hectic running, as, as he put it. I think Juventus were minded to sort of rein that in a bit and tame it in him. And, and the phrase he used was, kind of learn to do in 30 yards what you're trying to do in 60, you know. But he said in the end, and, uh, you know, Juventus, I'm in trouble now, but, you know, over the years have been a big, powerful club and very powerful in Italy, really powerful in Europe as well, as shown by the European Super League, you know, right at the, in the thick of that when, when it was all going on. But he said that over time, he started to feel like he was on a string, you know, that he didn't have an awful lot of freedom and it was a case of pulled here, pulled there on the pitch, that it was all coordinated, I guess, and that the the freedom to express himself wasn't really there. So bottom line from, you know, what I could deduce from speaking to him is he seems very, very happy to be here, very happy to be here. And bear in mind that there's a player coming from a, a club who've been Champions League contenders and, and that's the level he's been playing at. He doesn't seem to have any... 
issue or problem with getting involved with a team who are down at the bottom end of the league. does beg the question why he's left the Champions League club to come to Leeds, who are quite obviously at the wrong end of the table at the minute. But do you think maybe it is that it's that kind of more abstract thing of him finding a home that's more suitable for him where he can be more himself in this environment and especially having one of his best mates there as well it, it can't hurt can it I think so I think so he's had quite a while at Juventus now or a, a good couple of years and um, you know things are going to change there how much of an Allegri player he is um, I would question probably not not so much even though he played plenty you know I can imagine that in Allegri's mind's eye when he's thinking about the, the team that he wants to put together does McKenney fit into it Marsh again was sort of asked about the Americans. This always comes up, you know, because the American influence now at Ellen Road is is vast. Kind of future American owners, you've got American head coach, assistant, you've got three um US internationals in the squad, um, with McKinney joining Adams and, and Aronson. But, you know, Marsh sort of said that at the start of the season wasn't necessarily a player who we were dead set on signing or who we necessarily thought would be the perfect fit. But actually when it came round to this window and he was available and we looked at him and we talked about him, we thought he could be very, very good. I think you'll get a load of personality from McKenney, and I think you'll get some good performances as well. And what I'm really interested to see now is how the team is going to shape up. If he's getting Adams in there and Rocket in there and McKenney as well, how is he going to structure it to make them fit properly? Feels like a robust midfield to me. Does that one. I don't know about you. I think he's going to fit in really well at least, just as a character and in terms of engaging with the crowd, because Tyler Adams seems to have absolutely taken to it like a duck to water, and uh, if they're anything like each other then I think he's going to enjoy it too. I think it's it's nice as well to have a, a young midfield, but with a degree of maturity in it, because it feels like they're both players who won't be at all phased by anything going on around them, which for, for people in their early 20s is, I guess, a bit unusual. Well, we, we did a piece um, on the morning after the deadline about the way the squad's changed since the last day of last season to, you know, the 1st of February, where we are now. And it's been a substantial shift. And... While the, the recruitment model is has not evolved massively, you, you're still in these circumstances where Otter just never scouts or goes after players over the age of 30, you know, 30 or over. Marsh actually spoke about that today, you know, about the fact that Leeds do tend to take more risks in the market. He referenced James Milner, you know, saying that that is one way you can do it in the Premier League is to go after Milners and, and more experienced players who, who you want. But when it comes to outfield players, because Leeds have signed Casilla and they've signed um, Robles, you know, albeit they do have a very young goalkeeper in Melier, but outfield players, they just do not get into that part of the market. But I think where it's changed and what I think has been slightly different is that more and more, the players that they're landing on are players who have a proven track record behind them, whether it's a track record generally or whether it's a track record in the league that they're coming from. So even Nonto, you know, coming from Switzerland, had played for FC Zurich and had had a decent number of games for them. McKenney. He was 24 now, US international, played at the World Cup, been at Juventus, really, really good pedigree, but he's still only 24. So there is potentially resale value there. There's potential for him to get better. I think, dare I say, they're maybe just getting the balance, closer to getting the balance right when it comes to signing players who aren't over the over the peak, past the peak or over the hill, but players who can make an immediate impact now. Um, and I think, you know, they've obviously signed Diogo Montero as well, the centre-back from Savet. And Montero will go into the 21s. He's only 18. I think they're quite hopeful that he might actually develop at a similar rate to Nonto. You know, he might be more impressive more quickly than, than people are expecting, although they do think he, that big things will, will happen with him. But he's someone who they've looked at and said, you know, that's an academy signing, really. The others, Ruta, Vuba, uh, Vuba and McKenney, you expect them to do the business now. 
Well, Bron Montero, actually, how close was Charlie Creswell to leaving? Kind of and not very. Um, the the issue with Creswell was that the interest in him, serious permanent interest, didn't really develop enough for it to get to the point where Leeds were calling him back from Millwall. The, the recall clause had elapsed um, earlier in the month, so they would had would have had to have come to an agreement with Millwall. But had there been a permanent offer on the table for him, and had Creswell wanted to take it, then I think. Millwall would have been reasonable and would have said, okay, well, look, you know, there's a bigger long term picture here for you. And it's not that he's not been used at Millwall, but he's not absolutely key to that, that team either. So the, the interest that developed late on Tuesday was Stoke City. And they'd, they'd sold um, Harry Souter to Leicester, £50 million, looking for a replacement. Even at the point where that developed, everybody involved was saying it's so late in the day, this, you know, it would have to be a kind of split decision for Creswell um, and ultimately it didn't happen. But I think you wait to see in the summer if, if it comes back around again. It feels more and more to me like he's on the road now to a permanent deal. It would just be a case of of when. And, you know, there were kind of vague options for Leeds when it came to finding a bit more cover at centre-back. They were offered um, Axel Tunzebi at Manchester United, but didn't do anything with that. Weren't, weren't too keen, didn't push that one down the line. So with Llorente gone, they kind of are as they were at centre-back, minus him. But I think they feel that they got enough to cope there. And I asked Marsh, realistically now, where is this squad thin? You know, it looks actually as complete a squad as it's been for ages. And he said, you know, if I'd mentioned the centre-back and he said, realistically, that is where you could look at it and say perhaps we could do with a little bit more. But it, I, I don't know what you think. It, it makes the summer window. And I don't, I don't know whether I can, if I can bear to get into this. But it makes... <laughs> Just give yourself at least a week off, Phil. Yeah, it makes it um, quite intriguing because to look at the age of the squad and how it's, you know, how the, the different parts of it are filled, doesn't feel like it's going to be a vast amount to do in the summer, provided they stay up. Um, but I agree with you about McKenney. You know, you're saying somebody more experienced. I don't think it was necessarily a healthy situation for Sam Greenwood to be the first option off the bench, you know, centre midfield. It's a position he's new to. It's a position he's trying to learn. It's a lot to ask, I think. And having, you know, the three options of McKenney, Rocker and Adams, uh, I think makes far more sense. Can I just check why it is that you hate the transfer window so much, Phil? Because it's probably worth um, ex- explaining this the, to the listener. Parts of the transfer window are, are actually really fun. And you end up with a lot to write about. And it's, I, I always like getting into the, you know, the longer pieces about McKenney and players like that. And, you know, the piece about Harrison. It's this, this sort of interesting detail at the back of it and the longer stories to be told the turnover of transfer news and the granular nature of it now is just absolutely mad like it never it never sleeps and I think there are occasions where I used to think back in the day you know if if something dropped on Twitter you could tell fairly quickly I thought is there something in this or not but it becomes harder and harder to tell and we had a a scenario at Accrington where David Ornstein at our place had, had picked up a story that Nottingham Forest were thinking about getting involved in the McKinney deal late on, which they absolutely were. You know, that was, it, he'd sourced that properly, David, and it was, it was, well, he's an, an adult male footballer. Uh, I was so going to say it's a fair bet. <laughs> <laughs> Join the bench. But um, I'm not allowed to say that. They get upset in, in Nottingham when we go on about the size of the squad, so let's not. Um, but they, they sort of had an eye on him. And then about 15 minutes later, you've got Allegri in Italy saying, yeah, McKenney's not going to be involved against Monza tomorrow because it's a done deal with um, the club that Juventus have been speaking to, which was Leeds, you know. So this stuff just turns over and over and over and over. And, you know, some of it, obviously it's all relevant to the strength of a club and strength of a squad and, and how good a, a team are. But it feels to me 
I don't think I'm alone in saying this, that transfers have just come to dominate football in such a big way. Have you, have you found I mean, yourself deliberately pulling back from it? I know we've spoken yeah, about this like off air. Yeah, to yeah. a degree. There's a couple of reasons for that. Some, One of them is definitely that I'm in no way as well connected as somebody like a man Fabrizio. And same with Onstein as well. I, I, mean, I worry I worry about Fabrizio. You mean you worry for his health? Yeah, do, just do something else for a bit. I did say to I did say to Onstein, you know, sometimes I worry that you you know you're going to take twenty years off your life because of Martinelli at Arsenal, <laughs> and you know, will it? Will it? But I mean, he's just you know, he's absolute machine as David, and he and you know, this is his. That, these sort of stories are his real passion. Less so with me, although I do see the relevance of it, and it is nice when you pick him up. You know, there's no no doubt about that. But I think there are more and more people who look at the way that. I guess the transfer narrative just dominates everything in the game. How, how involved um, were you, uh, in it were you on like deadline day then? So compared to Fabrizio's going at it, hammer and tong, what well, what are you doing the, on on, the, on, on um, I was going to say Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day, yeah, yeah. on the brain uh, on deadline Taking day. Taking my wife to McDonald's, yeah. <laughs> um, well, giving her some square ball gear and say Happy <laughs> Valentine's Day, yeah, just pick this up out the office, like you. Well, that depends entirely on what's going on at your club. So we've had days in the past deadline days in the past with Leeds where they've done nothing and have never planned to do anything and have not looked like doing anything so therefore you're not really involved at all but on a day like Tuesday the Harrison one was strange because there was nothing really happening with it until the point at the end of the evening where he was suddenly heading down there but then even then it doesn't go through and that was the point at you know 11 o'clock on Tuesday where in the office we all said to each other look rather than just bombing this out now without really knowing what's going on Let's try and do it properly. You know, we'll ask some questions in the morning. We'll dig around. We'll phone some people. We'll try and see what actually went on. And as things developed, you started to find out that not only had he been on the road to Leicester, but he'd made it to Leicester, you know, and Leicester were about to get a medical going. Some people think he actually started his medical down there. I mean, it's kind of semantics, really. The fact is he was there and Leicester were thinking they were going to do it. But so other things come up. You have Creswell, Stoke interested in Creswell, but then that doesn't really get going. You have Llorente to Roma, which is a massive bolt from the blue. You know, that was one of those where you looked at it and thought, wow, you know, really was not telegraphed that at all. So you are involved if it's all going off. You're not if you're not. I mean, for example, Steve Madeley, the uh, Wolves writer, had said in the morning, there's not going to be anything happening at Wolves. There wasn't anything happening at Wolves. So I imagine he had a nice quiet day. Do you enjoy it? That's the question. I do actually quite enjoy deadline day. It's when you get up in the morning, you always have that feeling of, it's a long way to eleven o'clock, um, and what's all going to kick off? But in the bits where it's um, where it's dramatic, it's interesting. Dan James from Swansea was really interesting because I'd never seen anything like that before, and you couldn't quite believe the way it was going off. I mean, that was you know that I think was extreme, even by the versions of what happened with Harrison at Leicester. Um, so some of it's good, but I think. Bielsa always struck me as the sort of manager who was the antithesis of this idea that you have to just constantly be signing players and signing players and signing players. I think actually we're almost at the point now where you do have to be doing that. And part of the reason for this takeover going forward will be that the 49ers, I think, further down the line will be better placed longer term than Radrazani to be able to provide the funding that you need in each window to keep topping up and to keep ticking over and to keep, keep refreshing. But... One of the things I admired most about Bielsa was the attitude of taking what you had, making the best of it. And I don't think, I don't think football thinks about that enough anymore. I don't think it's interested enough in that anymore. I think there's an appetite for shiny new things and the expenditure at Chelsea for a January <laughs> window. I mean, it's 
just I, I I get how it's been structured and everything, and I get how they're managing to make it happen. But the numbers are just the numbers are obscene. It's, let's um, be honest. It, you can boil it all down to a four word, one of those clickbait headlines. Four words that sum up Chelsea's transfer approach. What are they doing? I don't think anybody, <laughs> nobody can answer it, can they? Nobody can tell if. I mean, it's not that the players they're signing are no good. Quite the opposite. You know, they're really talented footballers. Clearly, but they've got a lot but, of them. They have. What nobody can tell is: is it going to work? Yeah. You know, are they, are they going to are they going to be left with players who were once a hundred million pound, hundred and ten million pound asset, or are they going to be left with players who are actually never worth that in the first place, and who they shouldn't have spent the money on? I mean, I know, I know, football's been wealthy for ages and ages, but it's it's quite a difficult time for period for people generally at the moment. You know, nobody's can many people are sort of swimming in cash, and I think. I think parts of the expenditure in January were at the obscene level, really. Sounds to me, and based on Marsh's comments today anyway, that the club are quite pleased with the work that they've done. I think they should be. In the January window, when you compare it to what happened 12 months ago and people were, rightly or wrongly, up in arms about the lack of uh, of action. Yeah, he said he thought the squad was stronger than it was a year ago. I don't think that's even remotely um, up for debate. I think it absolutely is. It's not to say that it'll work and it's not to say that the squad's perfect. I still think we're all kind of wondering what's going on at left-back and how that's going to hold up uh, through the second half of the season, particularly if um, Vuba plays at left-centre-back. Although what I'm trying to tell myself is that Vuba at left-centre-back will by default make a difference to what goes on on the left side of defence because I think Vuba's looked pretty good. It just feels to me that this squad has enough in it to be okay and to be more comfortable. And I don't know about you, but I felt almost as if Marsh was one step from saying that himself today. He kept referencing the fact that, you know, I need to deliver results for us a big game for us. We need to go there and we need to make it our game. We, we need to start putting points on the board. He, he accepted I, responsibility, him and his coaching team, for that. He did. Mm. And I think he is he is at the point, really, of saying, look, there can't be any more excuses now. I can't make excuses if we're not picking up points with this squad. And I guess the best representation of what's happened is that Rodrigo is injured and it's absolutely sod's law that he's injured at the point where I think he's playing as well as he's ever played for Leeds and is actually looking like a really, really good player. But it's not as if there aren't alternatives. And these days, it's pretty rare to have a fully fit squad. Leeds seem to take that to extremes, you know, the, the injuries that they have and the number of players they have missing. But that's why you have extra players and they have ample choice up front. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You closed out part two then on one of the, the pertinent stories of the week, the, the loss of Rodrigo. Uh, a small fracture at the bottom of his, of his tibia, said Marsh today in the press conference, um, which, if you were being dramatic, is a broken leg. But it yes. doesn't, doesn't yeah. sound like it's, it's that bad. Although... We could do with him over the next couple of months. Yeah, particularly as I say, because he is playing so well. Six to eight weeks, they reckon. I guess as always with this, and when it happens at this time of year, you're left wondering at what point is he actually match fit again, and on that basis, how how much is he actually able to influence the games that are left? Because if that takes him to you know the end of March, you're, you're getting pretty close to the the end of the season at that point. Isn't it crazy how these things? Go in cycles, and and you did say there in part two, Phil, that you know nobody ever has a fully fit squad these days. But if you look back over the last couple of years, that that cycle that we've gone through of having two centre forwards in the squad and one of them being injured at all times, you know, it was, it was either Bamford or Rodrigo, wasn't it, at all times. And at least now they have finally learned the lesson of yeah. having reinforcements in the squad and having a deeper squad. Yeah, absolutely. And to go back to the point about trying to find players who should be able to make an impact here and now. Ruter has had a, a good stretch at Hoffenheim where he's played plenty of games. So it doesn't seem to be asking too much of him at the price they've paid to be coming in and, and making making a difference. I mean, the Rodrigo thing is a prime example of one door opens, another one slams in your face. And that, you know, that's exactly that. But then I thought Bamford looked like Bamford against Accrington and without wanting to second guess his fitness and to presume too much. If he's playing like that, I think he's a, you know, he's again a good a good replacement good player to, to be able to turn to but it is annoying with Rodrigo I don't doubt at all that Marsh picking a front three or a front four at the moment with the players on offer to him that Rodrigo would have been at nine So who will be up front then against Forrest? Do we think it's going to be Bamford maybe Ruter playing off him? Um, would you, would you it, go for 4-3-3 then? I suppose it depends on McKenney's condition and whether he's ready to start although Marsh very much said that he was I mean, and would be in contention Said he'd been um, training well didn't he? Yeah he did Uh I think I would be tempted to get him in pretty rapido. And if he is, then given the, the way the team set up in 4-2-3-1 and McKinney talking about himself as an eight, I'm not sure you really want him in behind the nine. So that, that would lend itself to playing three across the middle and three up front. You asked about Bamford. I feel like Bamford might start on Sunday. I don't know about you, but I've sort of, I sort of wonder with Rodrigo out if Bamford will look at, uh, if Marsh will look at the way Bamford played in that game and think that's the way to go. Well, he's got a bit of a spring in his step, and looks like he's got some lead in his pencil again. That might be the that might be the shout. I mean, it, it was quite funny because Marsh got onto talking about Rodrigo playing in the FA Cup game, which obviously people were naturally questioning after Rodrigo picked up that injury. And he sort of said, um, "Well, I wanted them to have some time on the field together." And I was sat there thinking, "I don't think they're on the field for that long together, were they?" And in the end, I think it was about seven minutes, something like that. So I don't think. I don't think they dovetailed a, a great deal. Um, Should we be annoyed but, at that, by the way? Because there's been, you know, you know what Twitter's like. People jump on these things and are up in arms about everything with the aid of hindsight. And it just, it's, it's starting to wear me down now. I just can't uh, engage in it. You just go, I just, I mean, you know, people get injured in football. I did, I did say it at the time. 
I have to say, when we brought him you on, did, we, yeah. were, we yeah, were watching Yeah, but that, that is together. you, Michael. You might, you, as he came on the pitch, <laughs> I was right, going, Phil. he's going to get injured here. He's going to get injured. I know oh, my, it. No. My Captain Doom over there, though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, dare I say that if you have a head coach who's wildly popular and doing incredibly well, this sort of thing tends to, people tend to go, oh, well, you know, that's how it is. If you've got a head coach who maybe isn't as popular as he needs to be, then sticks to beating with uh, all over the place. He could have done it differently, definitely. Equally, Rodrigo could have got injured in the first few minutes at, at Forest. I, I always find it quite difficult to look at one thing and say, uh, there are some circumstances where a particular choice or something else looks particularly stupid. I don't know. I, I felt with the Rodrigo one, I think Marshall almost said himself, you know, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have bothered. But it, it is what it is. I do wonder if this team makes a lot more sense with Bamford up front. I know you've you obviously not been able to drop Rodrigo because of all the goals he scored, but a fit Bamford, even maybe not contributing as many goals as, as Rodrigo. Mine can work right, maybe. It, it might actually make the whole thing make a bit more sense. And if you've got people like Sinister and Nonto on the wings who can contribute goals, maybe you don't need Bamford to get 15 to 20 goals in a season. Maybe, maybe he's all right getting 10. When Bamford's fit and in really good form, and this was the case all the way through when he was playing for Bielsa. His movement makes a big difference up front. He obviously, he can finish and he does score goals and he, he's good at getting on the end of chances in um, inside the box. But it's those runs into the channels between, you know, between centre-back and full-back that just move things around that I think is one of the biggest strengths of his game and, and one of his biggest assets. And in a team that, say, has Nonto in it and Ruta, um, Sinistera, for example, moving a defence around brings those guys into play and, and gives them space to, to cause a threat in as well. So I think if Bamford was able to start at the weekend, I think it would be the savvy call. What sort of a game do you expect from the game uh, at Forest on Sunday? It, we're not allowed, if we're not allowed to talk about their massive squad, then um, we're going to have to find something well, else. Well, we might as well talk a little bit about it. I mean, they sound Andre Ayew. Why, um, why are they so precious about it? Because it's true they've got oh, a massive squad. I just squad. made a, bit, a joke about them needing right. the bench that was a mile long and um, they asked me to point out that you can only have a certain number of substitutes on the bench therefore it can you know it doesn't need to be any longer than anybody else's the squad is big it is they've signed Ayu um, 33 now and has been in Qatar now they are talking about expanding um, their ground aren't they maybe that's the reason then so all the so squad could fit, fit in, yeah. in. So, um, sorry Forest fans um, they've got Kayla Navis from um, PSG Dean Henderson looks like he's going to be out muscle injury for about um, four to six weeks so they've got Navis from PSG which seems good signing really I think a sure sign of the changing circumstances at Newcastle, they've taken Chris Wood and they've taken John Joe Shelby, one club there very much moving on, I think. Is it just my perception that trips to Forest don't tend to be that great for Leeds? I've never, I don't have, the games that stick out to me as being good are the Beckford winner under Dennis Wise, the Gary Speed night, the 4-0, particularly that goal from Snodgrass at the end of the the chant for for speed. But it's felt more often than not that it's been fairly unrewarding. I, su- I suspect there's a bit of recency bias in that, Phil. Um, and you that, think so? Yeah, and the, yeah, the, the haunted look that um, uh, Luke Kaling uh, had in the promotion season. Maybe. I can only talk really about the period in which I've I've covered them. I've always... But we've mo- we've mostly been crap for that period, so... Yeah, so how, <laughs> how do you weigh it up? I've... Um, I've always felt that there's a shade of Millwall about Forest in that they seem to, at the city ground away, so like at the Den, they seem to handle and use the occasion a bit better than Leeds. Because there, there is a rivalry there and there is, you know, an undercurrent. And it feels as if Forest more often than not are able to plug into that a bit better 
than Leeds have been. Difficult to call. I don't. I don't know what I'm expecting on on Sunday at all. Really, mm, I don't, they, they've they, picked. They've picked up, and actually, they're a great example of what happens on the on the basis of a short period of, of good form. In that you're looking at them in thirteenth and thinking they were bottom of the table no time ago. You know, you're looking at them down in in twentieth. Um, so they they're in they're in reasonably good shape at the moment. I wouldn't necessarily say they're they're that good in the in the wider context though. But then again this group of teams down the bottom of the Premier League, and I include Leeds in that, haven't been that good. No. Uh, and, and wins, therefore, are very valuable in the Premier League. But I saw, you know, the, the the ease at which Man United disposed of them across the two League Cup games. And while it was a, you know, much changed side and all that, we can we can get at them. We have the the weapons, as Jesse would say, in this squad, I think, now, to to hurt them and hurt them from the bench as well. Yeah, Um I mean, obviously, the, the tactics will be to play with intensity because that is that is what Marsh does. But I feel like looking at the the talent that's up front with Leeds, if Leeds have periods of dominance and periods where they're on top of Forest and are really pressing, then I think chances will come. Um, and I think they've got players who'll take them as well. So I'm not going to say I feel optimistic because that's just asking for it, really, isn't it? But I, I feel there's absolutely no way I'm going to this thinking definite home win but let's look at it another way and then and fall back on what we said about Marsh's demeanour and the general sense of, of feeling a bit happier within the club off the back of the transfer window and I spoke about it last week that maybe there's a sense of Leeds are starting to move again now there's a little bit of momentum yeah. building up and it feels like I don't know if it's just because we're happy with what happened in the window that the pressure's just lifted a little bit and I know the table's not changed it's just as if there's a different feeling about Ellen Road at the minute. We have won some games as well. I know they're games that you would absolutely expect us to win, but we still have won them. And that feeling is, yeah. it, it is, it does winning's matter. Winning's a habit, isn't it? It does, it yeah. definitely matters. I know we're, we're not used to using a cup run for momentum because generally it's a one a one shot thing, isn't it? The <laughs> FA Cup for us. But it, I think it actually has, it does feel like it has created a bit. I think the mood, to me, it feels like the mood is hanging actually pretty heavily on this game at Forest because the Marsh has been promising for a while you know this uptick uptick as he says improvement in form more energy in the performances results are coming he's absolutely convinced that that's the case they've had a good window in which they've made a big difference to the squad they haven't lost Harrison irrespective of what's gone on with him he's still here they've got McKenney, they've got Ruta they've got Vuba the squad is better absolutely is better and, and quite considerably so as well I think Forrest on Sunday runs the risk of the balloon being popped you know and people being left thinking if it's a poor performance or a poor result, people thinking, okay, but you know, where where is this coming from then? What 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 is going to happen? And I think, yeah, if not now, is, then when? This is precisely yeah. the sort of game where, with this sort of narrative behind it and a bit of wind in the sails, new players in the door, this is where you look for them to turn up and go bang. I think, yeah, I think and, for... in a positive way. Sorry, I don't mean the balloon bust. This way, you turn <laughs> up and look for them to make it happen. We keep putting air into the balloon, rather yes, than, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And at which point it will bust if you keep doing that as well. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I take your point. Yeah, as much as I feel there is optimism. About at the moment, I, I also would acknowledge with Forest and then a couple of Man United games. You know, in in ten days, we could be looking for a new manager as well. It yeah. does have it does have that kind of, of potential about it as well. I think everybody's got to be fairly realistic about the Man United games back to back. So, so four it, points it, is it, acceptable, um, minimum. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, it, but it helps going into that if you've Tom Miller Forest. Yeah, uh, it's kind of bookended by Southampton, and Everton on the other side. I think those are the three really really critical fixtures um, that they've they've got to take good points from. But I see uh, Forest is a tough game. Forest is a difficult game and hard to call. Southampton and Everton, you really are looking for them to get into those two in a big way. Big way. I think that, that those, will, those will be key in judging where this season is going, I feel. 
And quite simply, it has to. It just has to happen now, yes. doesn't it? Although, like I say, that the the activity in the transfer window seems to have not taken the urgency out of it, but has perhaps made the the, the pressure less overbearing a bit as we go into this game. Well, look, I mean, we, we all kind of take the Mickey out of the Jimmy Kebby signing and the Cameron Stewart signing, but when they both joined, Leeds needed wingers, and everybody said to themselves, "Those are like two decent enough signings in the Championship." And the first thing that happened was that they went to Hillsborough. McDermott played a 4-3-3, which is just not like him at all. And they got absolutely battered. And so the, the value of those signings, and McDermott used to say this a lot, actually, people get excited about signings because it's new things. But then if it doesn't work, it makes absolutely no difference to anybody. Um, no positive difference. So that's kind of how it has to be with this. You need to see the impact of it and you need to see them making a difference. Otherwise, what looks like a good window and still will be a good window, I think. I think Leeds are signing fundamentally good players irrespective of how it ultimately works out for Marsh. I think they are. But the optimism generated by the window is only going to be sustained by results as a fact. Am I naive in looking forward to this game? No, I'm looking forward to this game. I am too. Dear God. What's going on? What's going on? This is, all we need to do is spend £70 million every January window and we'll all feel uh, optimistic. FM... If it all goes wrong, we'd just spend Monday's show whipping ourselves <laughs> in <laughs> silence. Phil just has... listen to the sound of flagellation. <laughs> Phil has reminded me of the optimism I felt after signing two wingers under Bryant McDermott as well. So, <laughs> yeah, there is always that option. What, what do you think is going to happen for the defence in this game? Because Cock is suspended and we've sold our other right-sided centre-back. Yes. Um, does he play Vuba there? Vuba looks pretty... Um, Should just say we've been corrected once again on the pronunciations, Phil. Like uh, we've had, we've had somebody who lives in Austria get in touch and saying it is Verba, closer to Verba. I said it was Verba. Yeah, Someone going to touch saying it was Vuba. I know. Marsh said it was Vuba. Um, but we've been told. Max. All right, okay. Well, Colin Max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get Max in the back of your shirt, please, because yeah. we can't we can't cope with foreign names. Yeah, <laughs> uh, thick Brits not able to cope with that. Yeah. Okay, he who shall not be named um, looks. He refers to him by number like they do in rugby. Bail enough, doesn't he, to shift around. So does he go in there? Does Ailing play there? Um good point. Good point. That is I mean that, I don't know. Yeah. Has Ailing made the number two shirt his own now then? Is he is he the, the first choice feels, right back? I would argue that he has. It feels a little bit like it, doesn't it? But it doesn't feel as if it, to the point where you're going that's absolutely problem solved there yeah know? but in um, the sense that it doesn't feel like he'll put him at centre back no I wonder if um, he said Cooper's fit so maybe it's going to be Cooper and Max yeah. I don't know, <laughs> you know? Um, and he seems to be talking up Thurple again so I don't know whether that's going to get a, a world I mean there is strike isn't there you could play strike find some some combination there. it's not that they don't have the the bodies actually it's just that if you're looking for the right-left, strict right-left combination, then it becomes harder with them, um, with Cock. I don't know if I'm ready. I'm not if I'm ready for junior just yet. <laughs> I, need, I feel like we he's need in, to get... He's, some, in, he's in good shape, apparently. I know, but I feel like we need to get some more wins on the board before I can uh, I can accept that risk. Yeah, maybe so. It, yeah, it feels as if strike is still the safer, safer bet there, doesn't it? And I don't think in these circumstances, safe bets are necessarily a bad thing. Are you looking forward to seeing how Lewis O'Brien's getting on at Forest? Yes, I did see that outside the 25-man squad. So can he still be loaned to the EFL? Because I think that the loan window stays open for a few more days, doesn't it? Or does that have to happen within the Premier League window? It's hard to follow. I was under the impression that that had to happen in the Premier League window. But to be quite honest, I... Don't pay much attention to the EFL. I've been there for long enough. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, we, we've said this on our show, haven't we? We're such Premier League pigs I now. Know, like, it's com- true. Completely forgotten where we've come from. It's true. There have been occasions in the past couple of years where I've looked at the first day of championship fixtures 
and thought, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I've got the, week- I'm glad I've got the weekend <laughs> off. Yeah. Thinking, where would it have been this weekend? Um, so no, he will he will not be not be involved. So a good January window, positivity yes. going into a Sunday fixture at Forest. What could possibly go wrong? Mm, nothing, nothing. Let's be hopeful. And final thought as well is the TV game. Uh, the FA Cup game is going to be on TV rather uh, on Tuesday the 28th of February, 7.45 on BBC One. So it's Fulham or Sunderland against us. Could be going up up or down the motorway depending on uh, on who we get. I don't know about you, but I think Sunderland would be the better draw. Fulham have been talking about taking this pretty seriously and are obviously at a higher level, um, but we'll see what happens. And Sunderland would have basically no striking options because yes, Gelhart wouldn't play because he's cup-tied. Because surely to God nobody has said, oh yeah, just use him in the way that he's cup-tied. Warnock... He's cup-tied. Of course he is, yeah, no, absolutely. From Cardiff. Um, yeah. in, in the way that Warnock did with Mike Taylor that time down at Millwall, he said, oh, he's, yeah, he's on loan, but just play him anyway. Game <laughs> of his life. <laughs> no, no other goalkeepers, yeah, no, just play him. All right. So yeah, they they would be they would be rather short. That's the one to hope for, I think. Yeah, fingers crossed. Good side, uh, good side, Sunderland. Actually, I should say, good team. Yeah, um, a lot of good good kids up there. But I think Fulham the strongest. And fifty years on from nineteen seventy three as well. It's it's yes, written in the perfect. stars, isn't it? Written perfect. in the stars. Uh, right, we'll return on Monday. You and I, Phil, where we will uh, debrief the Nottingham Forest game and uh, and see whether we were right to be confident and uh, not confident, optimistic going into it. We'll see then. Uh, we'll speak to you after the weekend. theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up for the Athletic. The Phil Hay Show.